Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I am your host, and I am so excited today. I have a new mentor, but most importantly, she's a badass, you guys. She is the newest member, I guess you could say, like traded onto the Chicago Red Stars. Please welcome NWSL star Carrie Ricaro. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you not only on the podcast, but as one of our newest mentors for our Female Footballers Summer Mentorship Program. Um, and I try not to do too big of intros because I want people to kind of hear more about your your history of your experience and your career from you and not just from me. Um, but there is quite a lot to discuss, a lot of accolades in there, some NWSL championships, some of, uh, you know, Notre Dame, an amazing school. There's there's a lot we have to discuss. So I'm just going to jump right in and, and kind of discuss like, you know, let's talk a little bit about your journey as a soccer player from from youth to kind of pro and um, you know, let's start with the youth game and kind of dissect a little bit about your journey in soccer, but also through your mental skills, kind of the focus there being important to you. Okay. Where do I start? I, I mean, youth, youth, I was, I started playing when I was like four. So I really have done it my entire life. I don't really have a memory without soccer in it. Um, and then as I started to continue getting older, I just played on like my local travel team, tried out for the ODP state team from there, tried out for the region one team because I'm from New York, kind of worked my way up the ladder to make the youth national teams, ultimately being able to compete in two world cups from there, got recruited to Notre Dame and went to Notre Dame, had a lovely time, didn't win any championships, but we, we did well. It was great. It was good for my growth. And then from there ended up getting drafted to Houston and played two years in Houston, four years in North Carolina, one year with Angel City, and now I'm with the Red Stars. So this is my eighth year playing professionally. Um, so awesome. Yeah, it's been a what journey. a career. I mean, what a trajectory. I, I want to go back to, you know, you played youth soccer since you were four, all the way up to, you said ODP. So I also played ODP, and I feel like it's a a dying experience sadly in today's you know do people do that anymore I don't think they do it there's PDP I hear a lot about PDP from girls that we work with and female footballers but I'm so sad because I feel like it was such a great program to identify players from everywhere not just from the most elite affluent areas Mm -hmm. um and you Mm -hmm. you know you could try out for free for your district team which is what I did and then make your state and work your way up but Mm -hmm. um you know, still have to get to those tryouts. But like nowadays, I feel like it's so different. Um, what did you, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Like, what are you, what type of player are you in a tryout scenario like that? And, and making your way all the way to the national team and playing in World Cups, like, that's a lot of pressure. That's especially in your teenage years. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think I, my first year on the state team was sixth grade. And I ended up actually making the B team that year. There was A, B, and C. And I was like mortified that I was on the B team, could not figure out, you know, like I wanted to, everyone wanted to be on the top team. I was obviously thankful that I made it, but I couldn't figure out like what I had to do. And ultimately I I was informed that I was more of like a gamer than a practice player and that I needed to like focus every day at training and like really work hard. I mean, I was in sixth grade. They're telling me to like try harder at practice. And and then it kind of hit me. I was like, okay, if you want to do this, then you need to try every single day. It was, I think the first time that I was told like, Hey, this is what it takes. Um, and I remember I, I really had big dreams back then. And I remember some of my coaches being like, 
are you sure those are your dreams type of thing? And I was like, wait, no, yeah, those are my dreams. I do want to go like play in a world cup. I do want to make the national team and play in college and like all these things. And, um, kind of hearing the words, no motivated me to kind of like stay strong and push through. I think I, I built a lot of resilience when I was pretty young at that point and ended up just climbing through the ranks of like, okay, if you want to be on the state team and that's what it takes to get to the national team, you better figure out how to train every single day and show them. And so then I started to become a pretty good tryout player. And this is something I tell people all the time. Like if you're at a showcase or your coaches are watching, you're like, oh gosh, I'm so nervous for me. I'm like, okay, focus on your two best qualities that separate you from other people, things you can control at all times. So like for me, I think something I brought was like always communication and then like tackling really hard. And that was something that separated me at that age from other people. And that's just how I started to open eyes. And then from there, I think you just like build on your confidence more and more. And then as I started to climb through the ranks, I started to get more comfortable in those tryout scenarios. So then it didn't seem like when you're at a college so showcase and there's like 50 coaches sitting on the sideline at Disney and you're just like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to do lean on my few things that I know I'm really consistently good at. And so from there, it's just kind of worked out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And you alluded to the fact that like um, say hearing no motivated you. And, you know, we work with girls all the time in our programming that we talk about, you know, how are you motivated? What is your why? What's your response in these different scenarios to get to the bottom and create self-awareness around, you know, learning about how they're motivated and using that to their advantage. So it's very cool. And it sounds like you learned that at an age that a lot of girls nowadays aren't getting the opportunity to really learn that um, in a deliberate way, uh, which is what our programming does. But um, if you don't have a coach or somebody who's kind of helping you along, I mean, did you have people around you in your corner, your club coach or your ODP coach that that kind of helped you with some of that? Or was it more like all you like, okay, I don't want to hear no ever again. I think I had a lot of intrinsic motivation and I was very competitive from a young age. Like I think back to me playing on the playground and like racing all the boys or like doing the, the mile test and like wanting to come in first every single time, every single year and beat all the boys. And mm -hmm. so I think I've just kind of had that in me where it's like, I've always wanted to be the best or like climb up the ladder, which was so great because I was so competitive and like motivated and willing to work hard and like stay resilient. But it also came back to bite me because a lot of my worth was then tied into if I did reach those accolades, which as I then got older, I had to train myself to know that like, wait, actually, if you try your very best and you do everything right and you feel super prepared and you fall short, it doesn't mean you failed. And so I had to kind of like reframe it because technically I guess I did fail because I didn't reach the goal, but because I didn't reach that goal, maybe another door open, which I've had to learn to. Um, so yeah, like, I guess my competitiveness and like wanting to win and be the best was so great to kind of like get me, my foot in the door, but then I had to kind of rewire my brain to be like, Oh wait, hold on. Like, that's not like the entire part point of soccer. Like you can still enjoy it and have success even if you don't reach every single goal in the way that you think you're supposed to in that timeline. Oh my so. God. I love that. Oh, I love all of what you just said. That was so true. And I think hearing from a pro athlete like yourself, how much the importance of reframing your thinking is in all of this, when it comes to goal setting is what I think girls, all athletes need to hear more of because 
like you said, I think in today's day and age and always we highlight the the good of everybody, the best moments and nobody ever sees those times where you have to reframe. They don't get to hear these stories enough. And so I, I love that. That's awesome. Um, so so going into your youth national team, I mean, you were U20s, I believe, mm -hmm. World Cup, right? Yeah. So uh, you, I started with the U14 team. They didn't have World Cups at the U14 and U15 level, but I ended up being on a U17 team that uh, we were like the first youth team in U.S. soccer to not qualify for the World Cup. And I actually do want to tell the story. I kind of love telling the story. I was what uh, I think I was the, I was the youngest player on the team. I was two years younger than everyone else. And so I was not even 15 at the time, I don't think. And um, we ended up not qualifying for the World Cup, something it's a two year cycle. So you're working your entire two years or year and a half or whatever to like get to the point of like going to play on, on the world stage. And in my opinion, if we would have qualified, we would have won. It was um, a team full of like Abby Dahlkempers, Morgan Bryans, Lindsay Herans, like those players. And so the fact that we didn't qualify is like actually unbelievable. Um, but after that camp or that the qualifying camp that we didn't qualify, I was like, oh, my life is over. Like everything I worked for, like fell short of my goal. And you don't realize in the moment that when a door like that slams in your face, that you don't know what doors open because of that. And so for me, we, uh, we got back from qualifying and then we had to go to camp a week later because they already scheduled it, assuming that we were going to qualify and that we'd have to keep training. And I was like, I don't want to go. Like, what are we going there for? Like, this is kind of a waste. I'm so sad. My life is over. And so anyway, I get on the plane, we go to Dallas, we're playing against Brazil in a friendly match. And I end up playing in that game kind of just like hey do your best like you got nothing to lose just try to cheer up and enjoy this with your friends one last hurrah and I end up playing the best game of my life and that's where I my Notre Dame coach saw me play for the first time which I didn't know at the time and then from there I ended up getting called into the U18 national team the next month which ended up becoming this cycle for the U20 national team that ended up going on to win the world cup that I got to be a part of as Oh two years younger because of that which I yeah. about two three years later like oh my god that was the first time Randy saw me play like because we didn't qualify we then went to Dallas to play these friendlies where we switched formations and the coach decided to give me a chance at a different spot on the field where I ended up like getting recruited to college and then playing in a world cup in that position like it's oh, just god. you never know how life is gonna Totally. Oh my God. I love that. And I, yeah. I can relate in um, a similar story. When I was in regional camp, we were with our state team or whatever, you know, we would go to Wyoming every year. We play all other state teams to look, get seen or whatever. The last game, I didn't think I was going to make the regional team. I just, and mentally it was just like, I just, I don't care. I'm going home. It doesn't matter. Played my best game, made the regional team, had to stay a whole second week. Oh, and I do think overs. there's something to Totally. And then that also ended up that team, the regional team ended up being my college coach at Cal where I went to play. And, and that's how I got recruited. And Amy Griffin was the other coach, but um, that, that mental, that ability to kind of let it go. And then you have your best game. I think there's something to that. Like, has that ever happened more in your career going forward? Like where you've kind of let go of expectations or or kind of looked at it and like reframed it in that way and then you've had a really good game have you had that experience again yeah I can't think of like a specific example off the top of my head but in general I always tell people like 
you need to stop caring and let go and be, I call it being carefree, but then people are like, well, how do you like go around and act like you don't care? I'm like, you're not careless. You're carefree. You still Uh, care, but then like, you don't care enough to let it ruin you. So you're going to do your very best. You're going to compete. You're going to try to connect your passes and like reach your goals or whatever. But then as soon as you walk off the field, it's over. You don't care because you did your best and you got better. And like, even in a game, it's like, okay, if I make a mistake, yes, of course I care, but I don't care. I'm carefree. I don't care enough. We're not going to try it again and try to improve or like continue to take the risks. Cause like, why am I going to hold myself back? Totally. And I think it's, it's like letting go of the results and just being process and progress oriented really can shape just a better player out of anybody, but that's, it's such a hard thing to do. But I, I mean, looking at your career as a whole, it's clear that that's something you've been able to do because you've had some transitional periods where you've gotten traded and, you know, having a husband who he played for five different MLS teams and I was living with, you know, we moved and and I've been a part as a spouse in that regard, but that's not an easy thing to transition from team to team. And you have to have that ability to focus on the process and not on the, the results and what that all means and really let go of that. So Tell me a little bit about that, the U20 age group and the collegiate experience at Notre Dame and, and leading up to NWSL. Well, with the U20s, I actually have another interesting story um, with that World Cup team that ended up winning. That was the team full of Julie Ertz slash Johnson at the time, Crystal Dunn, Morgan Bryan, Sam Mewis, Halia Watt, Ojai, um, like just big time players. And um I was the youngest player and I didn't expect much, but at the same time I was competing enough where I was like, wait, actually, I think I can start on this team and I want to play obviously. And I went into, it was always like, you know how when coaches like switch you with someone and then they switch you back and then you're switched again. You're like, okay, you're kind of unsure, but you're giving me reps with the first team. And in my head, I always thought, okay, well, there's no better competition in the world right now than the starting 11 of the u.s u20 national team so if you think you should play and there's no better people to to do well against to then earn your spot and when we started the world cup i was not a starter i did not play a minute the first game and i sat there patiently did you know grinding through the post-match training i was like this is where you earn it ended up starting the second game because there was a little bit of rotation didn't start the third game so then i felt defeated again it's like oh okay did what did i do something wrong and at that point when you just got to kind of keep your head screwed on straight and like do what's best for the team and stay ready. Like I always tell people, I'm like, you do not know when your opportunity is coming. So we're playing in the third game of the group stage. We're getting our butts kicked. We're down three zero against Germany and Julie Ertz goes out with an injury. You never sub center backs, but Julie had to come out. And I was, it was, we're down three zero. I'm like, okay, I actually have nothing to lose. I just like, don't let in another goal. I sub in, I play about 25 minutes. I think I did well enough that I played every minute for the rest of the tournament. And we that's won the world. Awesome. Oh my so, gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. And so I always tell people like, oh, well, I'm not a starter, but I'm like, things change so quick. You have to be ready for your opportunity. I've seen it in myself and I've seen it watching soccer, watching the MLS this past year. Um, the, the second string goalkeeper had to go in in the last like 10 minutes of the MLS cup final and then ended up going into penalty kicks and saving three penalties here mm-hmm. on the team after not playing the entire season. Totally. So like you actually don't know when your time is coming and to like always be ready for your opportunity. 
which yeah. I guess now that I'm thinking about like all these stories and my journey and like all the adversity and like overcoming it, it's, I guess I kind of learned it all because I went through it, but it's like really fun for me to kind of pass these stories on and this knowledge on where it's like, okay, if you don't believe me, like here's a real life story of this happening to me. So please Hopefully. just trust me. Absolutely. And there, these stories are not told enough. You know, the stories you hear are this, the glorified, you know, winning all the accolades and not how you got there. And the process to get there is not straight. It's not all up. It's, it's a roller coaster. And we need to normalize the more we tell stories like this and talk about it, the more we normalize for our young athletes that are listening and, and still playing in, in the youth game, that that's, that they're normal or, or this is common. Mm -hmm. um, and that the, the expectation that it all is perfect all the time is just so unrealistic. So couldn't agree it's, it's almost like better when it's not perfect, because then when you do end up like coming out on the other end or reaching a goal in whatever way that is, you're kind of like, okay, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And mm -hmm. even if you don't reach the goal, I've talked about this with my teammate in North Carolina, we lived together for four years and we were very hard workers over there, whether we played or we didn't. And I said, I was like, would you change anything about how hard we worked knowing that we both didn't get to play in this game and we lost? She goes, no, I wouldn't change anything. I'm like, I wouldn't have changed anything either. It's about the journey and like preparing yourself and doing everything you can. And then like, if you fall short quote of your goal, you still achieved so much along the way. Mm -hmm. Just like a really nice way to think about it. it. Well, it's like, it's all about how you think about it. It's all about perspective, right? And being able to frame it in a way that um, isn't so negative. And I, I, I feel like working with female athletes starting at age 10, you really see the, the destruction that mindset plays where they're starting out at 10 fairly great. When they hit that adversity at 12 and 13, it just plummets. And this is why talking about this kind of stuff and normalizing it can help with that, that roller coaster ride and help teach them how to reframe their thinking around their own journeys. And, and especially like the recruiting process, we work with a lot of girls trying to play collegiately. So you were clearly seen by your coach at the youth national level. Um, how was your experience at Notre Dame? It's interesting because the year I committed, they won the national championship and they were always very competitive to like be in final fours and win. And something I wish I would have thought of, and no one goes into college thinking like this, but I try to tell people, I don't know if it's a good advice or not, but I just wish I didn't focus so much on the end result of winning a national championship because ultimately like only one team out of hundreds of teams is going to win that year. You're very lucky if it's you, but like more likely than not, it's, it's going to be another team. And so I wish I would have known to not focus so much on like, like holding up that trophy, but all of the other things along the way. Um, and I think I learned that more. So maybe like my, honestly, like my third year into the league, but like throughout college, it was really hard. Like if we didn't get the result, I was like, well, I came here to win a national championship. Like, why are we not winning? And it's like, wait, but then you need to think of like the process and all the other things and the relationships and the beautiful school you're at and the education you're getting. And like now, obviously it's so easy for me to look back and be like, Notre Dame's the best place ever. And I got so much out of it, even though I didn't win the national championship. Um, so yeah, I, I think, and I did make the decision to go to Notre Dame knowing that I loved everything about the school, not just soccer. So I did have that in the back of my mind, but obviously as competitors were like, well, we want to win. Of course, you're going to go do your best and compete and try to win. But it's just, if, if you fall short of that ultimate goal, it's like, you still can get so much out of it. And it's, 
I, I, I talked to some girls that are in college now. They're like, oh, well, what a waste that was. We didn't win. I'm like, no, but you did this, 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 and this. And you got better at all of these things and you made new friends and you're, you're getting your education and doing all these amazing things. That's what college is for really to like find what you're passionate about and grow and like fall down and pick yourself back up and build relationships, mm-hmm. like all these other things. Yeah. I mean, it's been, we've recently, I want to say like a couple weeks ago, I heard the transfer portal had more female soccer players than, than they've ever had or something like that. And I know at my alma mater, we had a lot and I'm, it was so sad to hear that just because it is, it's like, you're chasing the trophy when you're missing out on all the whole picture. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. I mean, I, we never won. We barely made it past the first round of Cal every year. And I would still say I had the best college soccer experience I have friends for life and and even starting female footballers the women within our alumni program take you under their wing I mean Leslie Gallimore is like a giant in the sport she helps promote what we're doing you know we it helps to have people like Alex Morgan in your program and stuff like that too but but even so I you know she's not at any of our events so (laughs) it's different but you know I think it's 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 so much more than, than that trophy. Mm-hmm. So I I'm wish I would have known that before I entered school. It's like you do your best to win and compete. Cause that is the goal. But if you don't, life is still really good. Yeah, totally. So Notre Dame ends and, and NWSL was already a thing, right? This was, this was post 2013 when you entered. Yeah. So I got drafted in 2016. 16. Okay. So it was a couple years established at that point. And my, um, college coach, Randy actually was the Houston dash coach at the time. So I had him for two years at school. And then after I had him my first two years and then junior and senior year, and then he drafted me in onto the dash, um, which it was definitely a crazy first year. I came in with like a bad hip surgery and a sports hernia. Like I had no business. I mean, it was not good. And so I kind of spent the whole year like getting back to my old self post-surgery came back way too quick, was cleared to play in terms of like a health standpoint, but just like my return to play was very poorly managed in terms of just like, wait, you should actually do some agility before you play 90 minutes. Like like, I kind of got thrown into the fire because back then you only had 20 players on your roster and it, it was just different times were different. It was like, Oh, are you good to go? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to play. And like my young dumb self, like I was not ready to play, um, ended up not ever making playoffs until I moved on to the courage, but I actually got cut from Houston in 2018. So like, people don't realize that about me. Like they knew I like moseyed my way over to North Carolina and won championships, but it's like, no, I got drafted fifth overall. I was big time. Mm-hmm. Then like my career kind of went down. And I ended up getting cut from the Houston dash that didn't even make playoffs, never had. And it was like such a kick to the ego. I was like, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm done playing. I can't, I can't do, what am I doing all this for? I was sitting there like typing out the pros and the cons on my laptop. Like there were a lot more cons than pros at the time. And like, we weren't making any money. And I was just like, what am I doing? I don't want to do this anymore. Like, it's not worth all my energy. Am I really happy? But oh, the one pro was you love soccer more than anything. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then I ended up going to North Carolina. That is a spot for me. And so I took a flight there, ended up getting signed, got the last contract that they had available and was there for four years and won two championships back to back. That is so awesome. And that's such another example. I mean, that's such a theme in your career of just the, the comeback from different levels of adversity. And, and that one is, 
on a large stage and I know how hard that can be. And uh, my husband played for the Dynamo. So I lived in Houston and that it's also like hard to be, it's a very different from New York probably and where you, you know, in Indiana and stuff. And so it's, it's not easy when soccer isn't good and it's what you're doing for a living and it makes the mm -hmm. whole outside life so much harder too. So the fact that you still made that decision to, to continue and, and then found amazing success in North Carolina is just so awesome. And it's all about that reframing again and, and looking at it as this is what I really love. And I think that's so awesome. Well, thank you. I, I also do want to point out, I went to North Carolina after being cut from Houston and we won the championship. We won everything. We broke every record in the book that year. We won everything. Like there was, I literally was like, we're the mini 99ers because that's like what it felt like. And I played in two games out of 20, whatever games. And so there were games I didn't dress. There were games I didn't travel. I was like kind of kicked to the side as a player that was like, how am I going to help our big time starters perform? And so Dabinia, Crystal Dunn and Dabinia, Sam Uis and Denise O'Sullivan were my competition. And for me, it was like, okay, well, let's look at this realistically. You're not going to beat any four of those players out. Like they're four of the best players in the world for me. And so I was like, how do I make their job harder so that when they actually go to play a game on the weekend, it seems easy for them. And so every time Dabinia had success, I was just like, nice. Like you kind of got her ready for that. You made her, you pushed her in practice. So she didn't get complacent. So she had to get better. So she then is dominating on the field. And I think it takes people that don't necessarily play 90 minutes or dress every game. It, they don't feel like they're worthy in the league. And this goes for professional collegiate and youth. It's like, Oh, if I'm not playing, I'm not a part of it. And I'm like, you are more a part of it because you're the one person that's like doing the thankless job of doing the extra fitness and you're acting as the other team. So they, they know what they're going up against that weekend. And you have to sit there and pretend to be the opponent and like swallow your own pride when you know you would play a different way. It's like, no, but the other team does this. So you have to just kind of play the part. And it's like, that is an absolute thankless job, especially when you're not the one like getting on the stat sheet or people like don't really know your name at the time, or you're not dressing or you're not traveling and you're kind of feeling left out. It's like, okay, but you are actually from top to bottom, just as much a part of the team as the Sam Mewis or the Crystal Dunn or the Dabinia. And people totally. do not know that. And I think that like, there's this idea that you have to like, when you accept a role like that, that I always get the vibe from younger players that they're hesitant to play that role because they feel like it's going to define them. And, you know, it's like, well, then like they label it, you know, like even at, at collegiately, it was like Thursday training sessions before a Friday game. It was starters versus non-starters. There was labels around all of that. And I think you can't put a label on it. You know, like you said, you, you never know when your opportunity is going to arise and you have to be ready. And, but I do think there is something to say about accepting your role in that moment, but not letting it define your career or your season or your game even. Yeah. And it's never permanent, but it's almost just like freeing to know that that's your job. So you're not like, Oh my God, what am I going to start today? Am I not? It's like, you know what, actually, I know I'm not starting this weekend. My role today in practice is to make Sam Lewis's job. Hard. How do I do that? And I'm going to do the best I can. And then I'm also going to perform the best I can. So she knows that I'm kind of coming for her if she doesn't perform like there, that was definitely a thing too, where it was like, all right, if you're not performing, at North Carolina, it was cutthroat. They would say, everyone stop, you two switch. 
from starters to non-starters in the middle of practice. It's like, oh gosh, you really have to be on it. Um, yeah. So it was like, yeah, accept it in the moment and and do everything you can to be the best, whatever that role is in that day. But also it's not permanent. And we, our coach always used to say like, rent is due every single day, which was great. I mean, that's how you get better. You have to show up every single day. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, wow, that's so fascinating. So you're with North Carolina for two years and then Angel City. I was with them for four. So oh, we won four. two championships and then COVID was just kind of a wash of a year. And then 2021, I ended up having a good enough season that I was valuable enough that Angel City was like, oh, we'd love to have her, which was like very flattering. And honestly, I'll just say it, like I wasn't surprised more so because of what I bring off the field in terms of like experience and locker room culture mm-hmm. setting. I was kind of like, oh yeah, I would have picked me too. Good choice guys. So <laughs> it's not like I'm like the best superstar ever, but I think I knew what it took to like train hard and train well win a few games and also just like bring a team together and like be a good energetic person when things got tough. And that's an area I feel like people don't talk enough about. That is my husband having, I think eight or nine years in MLS. That is this long later. All he talks about is the locker room. Like he, that's what he misses the most. And that role is huge because you're, you're a culture creator or cultivator mm-hmm. in a way, right? You have to it, those players make or break a team, you know? And yeah. so I think that's a huge compliment that you'd also be wanted for that. And, and just by the documentary I watched last week of you, it looked like you definitely are that. So did you love yeah. the experience there? Like, what'd you think? Yeah, I did. And I found out after the fact that they actually did a really good job at Angel City researching everyone's personalities. Like it wasn't just like they brought in me and I was like the only like fun one or whatever. Like the group was great. And I'm sure you could, I mean, the documentary definitely showed ups and downs, but like that was a really good group of human beings. And I think that's like ultimately what Angel City was looking for because it is more than just soccer over there. Um, so I was so proud to be a part of that. And I'm glad that they brought in like a bunch of wonderful people. Um, I love my experience. It was definitely hard for me to, again, to like transition from North Carolina, where I was like super happy off the field, loved my home. It was I had home there. Like it was for sure something I loved and kind of just like getting a call randomly in the off season, like you just got traded. And I was like, oh, okay. So I have to go. But then I was like, oh my gosh, wait, it's angel city. This is going to be sick. So I just kind of packed up and took a risk. And I was like, I have no idea what's about to happen to me. Like who knows how my life's going to change. And it ended up being exactly what I needed I needed a fresh start without knowing it at the time. I think it was just like, okay, my time in North Carolina, I miss it every day, but it ran its course. And I wanted to challenge myself in a different way of like, okay, you played behind a a lot of great players and now you can go be a leader and maybe like make a name for yourself. And so for seven years, I never scored a goal. Not that goals are everything, but last year I netted four goals. So it's just like, okay. I mean, like good for you to kind of just like break free and feel like you can do it too. And that you don't have to always like take a back seat. Um, so yeah, it was a really good year for me personally. And I loved being a part of making history. I mean, you saw it in the documentary that was just actually like an unbelievable thing to be a part of. And I will always have Angel City in my heart. Like they were such a good family and I'm also miss them every day as well. So yeah, I was going to say that's got to be hard to leave. Uh, we just interviewed Angelina Anderson, who's a rookie for them this mm-hmm. year, straight out of Cal, and she's so starstruck by all of it. And I think that's got to be very different from like 
that's your first experience for somebody like her. And then that's like your third team or whatever for somebody like you. And I think, and, and having been in the league longer, you really see the trajectory the league, the league is heading in and how exciting that was to be at, on a, a stage where soccer is finally being taken on our side of the game, on the women's side, much more seriously mm-hmm. as it should have been all along. And so that's got to be gratifying. But how has that been to now you're with Chicago Red Stars? So tell me a little bit about that transition been tough um so an opportunity presented itself in the offseason because Chicago lost a lot of midfielders to free agency and retirement and going on loan so I think in a matter of like two or three days there was like five or six girls that just kind of like were no longer with the team and I was like I see an opportunity here for myself professionally to go not go like help the team they would have been fine without me but I was like I think they need to have someone fill that hole of just like a holding midfielder and I was like that I would love to like inquire and see I was a free agent in 2024 I was like I wonder if they'd be interested in having me in the future when I'm a free agent um my boyfriend lives here so that that was definitely an incentive and when the girls left I was like okay this seems like it could line up for me and they were like actually we want you now and I was like oh, what do I do? And so it was hard. Like I, I kind of had to sit down and think like, what do I want to do? And after reflecting on my career and the championships I've won and being cut and playing, I was like, I, I was like, did I tick enough boxes in all the other places where I like played in a playoff game and, and won a championship and got to do it in front of my parents and like, like all these cool things I've done and then play in Angel City. I got to score a goal. I've gotten an assist. I'm like, okay, you've kind of done things that are satisfying to you. Like, why don't you go be a part of this team where they're, they're really getting a fresh start here in Chicago. Things are definitely more difficult. It's not a secret that like we lack ownership at the moment. We currently don't have a GM. We are at the absolute bottom of the table, negative 11 goal differential. I believe it's tough. And I did choose to come here and help bring all the other qualities that I brought to my other teams. And it's hard. You mentioned it. It's like your life gets affected by how your job is. And so for me, I'm, I'm working through that a lot day to day of like, how do I make sure I enjoy my life away from soccer, which I've always said to everyone, I'm like, you need to fill your cup up in every other area. Cause you are not just a soccer player. Um, so I've really been focusing on like, okay, you moved here, you love Chicago, you live right by the lake, go take a walk, go hang out with your friends, host a dinner party, like all these different things, or like you love photography, go take some photos or record your podcast, trying to make sure that I'm just like being a well-rounded human being when things that I can't control with the red stars and like losing games or like waiting for a sale to go through. It's like, you know what, show up every day, grind, try to make the team better. Fill, fill the locker room with as much positive energy as you can. Days are going to be hard. Sure. But just like, keep it going. Like that's what you came here to do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at. But I think that's a great mentality to have. And I think the, the notion of the other sides of you is self-care and taking care of all the other aspects that you enjoy doing is huge. And that's a great lesson for younger players to take with them too, that when things aren't perfect on the field, you got to, like you said, fill your cup everywhere else. And I mean, Chicago is a great place. My husband also played there and we have a place there too. So I know a little it's bit about that. It's the area. best here. It really it's, is the best, especially when it's the summer and stuff. Yeah. Totally. And if you live by the lake, we were, we were in um, old town area off of Wells or whatever. And it's, mm-hmm. it's such an amazing city. And so there is enough to do, but I also think there's something to say about like starting over. Like you said, you kind of did that in North Carolina and it was like starting from the 
the bottom and working your way back up. And I think you're the perfect person to do that with your history of, and especially with your mindset. I mean, I think that's a big, huge aspect that you bring that's unique to a lot of players in your position. I think a lot of girls struggle with that mindset. They would struggle if soccer's not good, they don't want to play anymore. And and I know how that feels, but I think you've gotten through so much adversity because you're able to reframe your thinking. And I think that's like the perfect type of player to have in a situation like this. So I'm excited to see where the Red Stars go in the next six months. And even if it's just a rebuilding year, you know, you have time next year and just to kind of see where it goes. And and like you said, you your boyfriend's there, you've got other things going on. So that's good too. And um, I'm sure, you know, the team has some great players on it and some some fun people. So there's still a lot of positivity there. But, you know, I think the the theme I pull from talking about your journey is just that whole reframing during times of adversity. And that's what I'm so excited to have you as the mentor at Female Footballers, because that is the these stories and the types of conversations are what girls need to be having. And they don't get enough one-on-one -on -one time or time in front of women like you to have these conversations. So I'm really excited that you are joining us to be a mentor this summer for our summer mentorship program. Um, I know you do work with Soccer Resilience, also an awesome program. Um, and then you have a podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I do. Um, it's called Butterfly Road. I started it with my college teammate, Ginny. And we basically just talk about anything mental health in athletics related, sometimes actually not about athletics at all. We've had some professional athletes, male and female, come on, tell their stories, open up and be super vulnerable. And then sometimes I share how it's going with soccer or Jenny will talk about what she's learning in work. But ultimately, we're just trying to like be super relatable and show that like two women can struggle with things. Um, with their mental health and still be very successful and fulfilled and like live great lives. And that there are just like little tools and tips and tricks that we have that help us do that. And also to like offer relatability and remind people they're not alone. I feel like that's like such a good feeling. So we try to do it in a very lighthearted way. At first, I could not wrap my head around the idea of like talking about mental health and mental illness in a happy like cheerful joy way. I was like, I don't get it, Jenny. How are we going to do this? But we've kind of found like this really good balance of like, yeah, okay. Mental illness is very sad. It doesn't discriminate. It's debilitating at times, but we're going to just kind of like not poke fun at it, but we're just going to talk about it. So, so it's not so daunting and people can learn about it and educate themselves while we kind of like giggle in between and like talk about other stuff in our lives as well so I don't know how we do it we kind of just be ourselves but it's just a way for us to kind of shed light on the topic and also do it in a, a weird fun way I guess I think that's the most important way to do it though too I think that so many people are just afraid to talk about mental mm -hmm. health and this being mental health awareness month too it's like it's like anything when it gets a month it, it kills me because like Yes, I want to celebrate it this month, but we need this to be talking be every about that every month. Yeah. Same with next, next month, Pride Month. Yeah, well, we need to be celebrating allied and pride people every month too. So, um, or LGBTQ plus. So it's, you know, it's frustrating. But at the same time, I do think there's some more communication around it, the better. And like for us, you know, mental skills, I think, get confused. There's so many different terminologies around mindset, mental skills, psychosocial skills, whatever you want to call it. And for us, it's it's building tools to have in your toolbox that are preventative skills that you can use throughout your whole life that help you with mental crises and can help you when you advocate during mental illness. And so it's just so necessary. And I think sport is the perfect avenue 
to learn it all and to navigate it. And in the more we talk about it, the more it's normalized. So I think it's awesome. Um, so everybody go listen to Butterfly Road. That's awesome. Um, your most recent episode was on confidence and self-talk, which I think is a huge piece that um, a lot of players that we deal with at Female Footballers are navigating. We did a session yesterday exactly on that topic. And it's um, it's always disheartening to work with 12 and 13 year old girls going through the thick of that. Um, but I think even as you know, as a woman and, and I'm older than you, like it's not something that fully goes away. It's a mm -hmm. daily building it. Yeah. That needs mm -hmm. to be practiced. Yeah. Um, so yes, definitely go listen to that. And um I feel like we've we've kept you for a while here. So anything else you wanna, you know, have our listeners let you know, let them know about upcoming things or you know, I know with the Red Stars, you guys are in the Challenge Cup simultaneously right now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How's that been? We have only had one challenge cup game, I believe, but they're always like midweek games. So we actually have one next Wednesday at home. So yeah, when we have challenge cup sprinkled in between, it's like Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, it's a lot, which is like really fun though. Cause it kind of gets other people a chance to play and get to rotate and play more games, which is really fun. So yeah, I love yeah, it. Well, it. It's not easy. Well, yeah, but with the World Cup, too, there'll be a lot of more opportunities, too, for different players to get seen this summer. And I think that'll be great. Yeah, um, well, something we're I so always excited. took advantage of, too. Yeah. Like, the years. It's like World Cup year, perfect. Like, mm -hmm. I get to contribute, which is a really good feeling. Yeah, that we had one of our other mentors, she's not doing our summer program, Taylor Porter plays for the Thorns, and she ended up on the Thorns due to the Olympic uh, roster situation. So she got pulled in from Spain. And and now she's been there since, and it's been awesome. And so those opportunities, when they present themselves, like you said, you got to jump on it. So mm -hmm. I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your season. I'm so excited to have you as the mentor. If you're listening and you're a female athlete, join us for our summer mentorship program. Registration is open now. It'll be linked on the post for this um, this podcast episode. Um, but thank you so much for your time, Carrie. I'm really excited to be working with you this summer. And um, you guys go follow Butterfly Road and follow Carrie on social platforms. We'll tag you and all that as well. But thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Of course. All righty. We'll talk to you guys that. next time. <laughs>Female footballers, we are female focused. So I couldn't pass up the opportunity to be a brand ambassador for the newest female focused footwear company, Ida Sports. Ida Footwear offers high performance and comfortable footwear for athletes who have traditionally been an afterthought. Interested? Try out Ida Footwear and use our code FEMFOOTBALL10 for 10% off a pair of Ida shoes today.